scary <laughs> episode four it's hard to believe we've done four episodes well this will be the fourth fourth episode yeah, yeah time flies it so does we've, we've done one full round yeah that's mm-hmm. right we're back um, to the beginning mm-hmm. it's like if you have four quarters yeah it makes a dollar don't do math it's just like that nigel <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting paid for this that's right four quarters you get four quarters <laughs> i need that's to do laundry use four quarters <laughs> i am nigel aka the peruvian nightmare and my co-hosts are i'm scary anna and i am definitely crying today after watching this film oh yeah Cryan, aka Cheyennegans, aka Mrs. Mrs. Peruvian Nightmare. All right, all right, all right. And this is going to be our first um, foreign flick that we've discussed on the uh, the episode tonight, and it's an excellent one. But first, before we jump into the film, I wanted to give a shout out to my boy Nate Graham, all the way on the left coast. You know where I'm talking about, Portland, Oregon. I mean. Where do they live? Vancouver, Washington. Vancouver, Washington. <laughs> it's like five minutes from Portland, Oregon. <laughs> he liked our Humanoids of the Deep episode so much. Lots of boobies. That he uh, he texted us last night to tell us that he loved it. He loved it. It was the his favorite movie of all time. He says, between that and Saving Private Ryan, he thinks it's like better than Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> So I think that says a lot, and I think that supports me. What did me. he ingest before he watched this That's movie? The, I, he didn't go into detail, you know. <laughs> it's left probably lost in translation there. Taco Bell? That was a great movie, Nigel. <laughs> it was a good, Humanoids of the Deep is a no, great... No, lost in translation. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh. And also a huge shout out to Mr. Matt Burke from Have Gun, Will Travel. He complimented our previous episode on Candyman, said he was going to check out the film Yay. again, and he had hadn't seen it in a while so thanks matt if you're interested in really good music matthew burke is a musician and leads a band called have gun will travel Woo-hoo. out of bradenton check them out at hgwtmusic.com yeah they're awesome and matt also does a wednesday evening live kind of performances on the facebook so look up matt burke's facebook page and tune in for that from his living room and his lovely daughter helena sings a song or two yeah and it's just all good quality braid and tucky fun every wednesday wednesday. only during the pandemic yeah i like how we people who give us compliments we say their names out loud and record it on the podcast that's yeah. right that's called a shout out yeah they should share in our fame <laughs> yeah. if not our fortune right? <laughs> yes yes our fortune <laughs> five quarters no <laughs> well let's no, do I some check-ins quarters check in with me shine again how are you doing yeah i i did say that i'm i'm crying today crying but that doesn't mean that i'm doing poorly hmm. yeah sometimes a good cry is 
good. This film was yes. was a good girl. cry for me. You know, I guess I guess I'm good. good. Um, I got. I got my sewing supplies in nice. so I can start on my next project. Nice. Um, and I just had to order one of those uh, antimicrobial silk face masks because nice. I am battling mask knee, folks. That's a very common problem nowadays. Well, you should stop putting the mask on your knee. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> That's the problem. No more mask on your knee. Okay. Okay. That wasn't as funny as I I had thought. You should have prepared us, Nigel. Sorry. You needed a little advance notice. If you don't know, I just learned what mask knee is. It's mask acne, but not actually acne. It's contact dermatitis or yeah skin abrasion or irritation or something like that so it's a real thing it is a real thing it's a problem but it's kind of nice that you have a mask to cover it up i know it's It's kind of ironic right that Mm. the mask caused it and the mask covers it Hmm. yeah Hmm. sounds like QAnon to me uh how are you scary anna I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to the two days of winter that we are going to have this week. Florida winter. We get two days of it. It's happening this week. Yeah, it's supposed to be like lows in the 20s. Tuesday night, maybe for like two hours between 4 and 6 a.m. So we're going to break out our our sweatpants. (laughs) Yeah, my Uggs. I'm going to go run around the neighborhood. That's so funny. I did, growing up in Florida when I was a kid, we would wake up during, you know, these cold spells to go see if there was ice on the windshield. Yeah. It was a very sad childhood that I had. (laughs) Yeah. So I am looking forward to that this week. Yeah. It's going to be lovely. It's a lovely week. It was kind of gray and dreary today, but it was cooler. I liked it. It wasn't bad. Maybe the cold weather will remind us of our trip. You'll roll down a hill. Yeah, oh, yeah. Find a good hill. Oh yeah, the three of us uh, went on a um, a little adventure last week. We ventured up to the lovely Appalachian Mountains, Appalachian, Appalachian, and um, had a lo- lovely time at an Airbnb up there with uh, the the bug, our three year old. She loved it. She had a great time. We all had a good time. It was beautiful. Oh, it was for my birthday, yeah. and it was the week before last. Yeah, yeah, God, time really God does fly, bliss. doesn't it? Yeah, we've been back a week. Yeah. Yeah, it was lovely. All right, so what are we talking about today? Well, you have to check in. Oh. How are you? Yeah, Peruvian how are nightmare? you, Nigel? I'm good. All right, so what are we... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about today? This was um, Cryan's choice. And yeah. so why don't you introduce it, Cryan? I, I will. So I, I wanted to choose a film, like I said at the last podcast, that a film that terrified me, a film that was so scary to me that its image was sort of like permanently imprinted um, on my brain. And the film that came to me is The Orphanage, which mm. I saw probably when it came out, um, 2007. It it has always just um, been there, sort of on the, the edges. The periphery, if you the will. The periphery. When you talk about horror films, because we watch a lot of horror, and to me it's kind of fun until it's something that's 
not fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something that becomes real. a little too real. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Simon. There are children who can see a hidden world whose imagination opens their eyes. So, spoiler, I will talk about, give the synopsis. So, if you haven't seen it, you should see it. Stop the podcast right now. Go watch it and then hook back up with us because we're going to be talking about what happens in the film. So, it's a a supernatural horror film by the director uh, J.A. Bayona. Yeah, I guess. 2007. It's a Spanish film that was um, written with Guillermo del Toro. He produced it, yeah. So the writer is this guy, Sergio uh, G. Sanchez. He wrote the screenplay, and he's good buddies with Guillermo del Toro. And so he, like, said, hey, man. Help me out. Help me out. Give us some more money. (laughs) (laughs) So he's, um, Guillermo del Toro is, like, a um, co-producer or some shit. Ah, It's very much in his style, I think they're oh yeah anyhow so it's basically a ghost story the the main character centers around Laura who is um, an orphan herself she's a mother to uh, one son and she and her husband move into the orphanage that she grew up in uh, before she was adopted and then her son disappears and strange things start happening as she is uh, looking for him for months and months um, because she's certain that that she's going to find him alive. Simone. Simone. The son. And he's got all kinds of issues. And we'll, we won't spoil that part of it unless it's in one of y'all's discussions. But it's, you know, it's it adds to the tension of the situation of like Simone's backstory. You know what I'm saying? It, it has all the ingredients of, of horror. So there's the 
the big old mansion by the sea. There's um, a distressed mother. There's an ill child and or ill children and ghosts and then a creepy old lady. There's some gore, not a whole lot. Um, But for me, the film isn't just those ingredients. The film is very memorable for me. And um, it it touches on, like uh, Scary Anna was saying, like uh, truer, deeper emotions. And I feel like the, the horror comes from that and less from... Uh, The frightening images that are there on the screen. Well, Scariana, what's your thoughts on the orphanage? I I also found it really terrifying. I thought for some reason that I had seen this before, and I think I had it confused with another movie, Devil's Backbone, which was actually directed by Guillermo del Toro. Handwritten. Right. Um, which was also about children and ghosts. And, and, and I, I thought... And an orphanage. <laughs> an orphanage, right. And so I thought I had seen this and I, I had not. And so once I, st- I thought I was prepared once I started watching it because mm-hmm. I kind of knew the basic story and I was not prepared, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> like, this is, this is a movie that stayed with me for a long time. I mean, I dreamed about those kids the ne- the ne- that night and... I still think about them. And so, and I think one of the most powerful parts of the movie is the tension that builds. Yeah. Um, That tension that you can't just cannot get away from it. You know that something's coming and you can't, nothing will ease it. There's no easing. They do a really good job of not easing that tension. And that, that for me was the most powerful thing. Cause as Cheyenne mentioned, there's not a lot of gore. There's not mm. a lot of, bo- I, I don't do well with body horror things. And there isn't, wasn't a lot of that in this movie. But, but what, what there was, it was good. Ooh, Sorry. I mean, yeah, the small bits, they used it well. Absolutely. It was very powerful. But the, but, but the ratcheting up of tension, um, that's what really, that's what did it for me. And you knew something bad was coming. And then you end up seeing the bad thing and it's, you know, it's almost a relief. It is a relief a little bit. Um, And and maybe that's what makes horror movies. That's why people want to watch horror movies, right? Mm -hmm. Is that it's kind of like the building up of this tension and then the release of attention, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, you 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 have this catharsis where you are crying or you're upset or, you know, there's just some something has been resolved or relieved or you see the culmination of all that tension that was built up but this one like i hear what you're saying but this one doesn't it leaves you with melancholy oh yeah for sure leaves you yeah it's not a happy ending (laughs) no i mean people can make arguments for that i remember cryan you were reading some of the um what the parental guide yeah (laughs) online some of the parents writing and there was one parent that was like oh you know this is a sweet story you know with a couple of gory parts but otherwise a sweet story and we were like did you watch the same movie this can't be the same no i'm 38 years old and it it took me a lot of courage to watch this again so you uh had talked about the tension yeah in the film and i had come across a hitchcock quote to explain the difference between surprise and suspense and he says if people are seated at a table and a bomb explodes that's surprise. But if they're seated at a table and you know there's a bomb under the table attached to a ticking clock, yeah. but they continue to play cards, 
that suspense. Yeah. So Roger Ebert, in his review of the film, said there's a bomb under the orphanage yeah. for excruciating stretches yeah. of time. Excruciating is the right word for it. Yes. Because you keep, you know, so this little boy disappears. He, you know, he needs certain medication. Um, you know, in the very beginning of the movie, he pretty much disappears what, within the first 30 minutes. Yeah. And so, and then the next thing you know, six months have passed, nine months have passed. And you, so you know, there isn't going to be a happy ending for this little boy. But yeah. it is, this is a, there are supernatural elements to this. And so you keep, at least I did, I negotiated with myself. I kept saying, maybe, maybe the little ghost kids are helping him maybe they're keeping him alive maybe he's okay maybe, maybe the mom maybe, was right yeah you know you you can see the desperate hope that the mom has but you you know at least i knew intellectually that he was not okay um and she needed to know what happened to him and you as the viewer you're following that same experience that the mother has i mean you're experiencing everything that the mother experienced right yeah and so you're following that same emotional trajectory where you just need to know what happened at this point you just need to know you're so invested that you don't you need to know no matter what it costs you and so like once we got to that scene i knew it was not going to be good but i couldn't look away i couldn't stop you know i needed to see i needed to know yeah, and that I think that was that. I mean, I don't experience that very often in a movie. That's a rare thing for me, where I'm so invested in what's happening next and what what I'm going to see. Well, this is probably the third or the fourth time I've seen this movie. It, it I did get it confused as well with The Devil's Backbone, Guillermo del Toro's movie, and this wasn't like we said. This wasn't directed and written by del Toro, but it very much is like influenced big time by him and his kind of style of it's of filmmaking it, it's atmosphere the feel the cinematography it's all very like Guillermo del Toro-esque so but it's not it's dealing with another time period he he tends to be like um whether it's uh the um the devil's backbone or pan's labyrinth or um what's the one with the fucking fish guy the new one the shape of water yeah, the fucking <laughs> fish <Joel>. guy <laughs> the erotic fucking fish guy, fish guy. <laughs> you're such an unromantic nigel uh, but it, he's always dealing with a particular time period guillermo del toro even even chronos way back in the day was all during this particular like time period world war ii era olden days and so but this was i guess sort of set in sort of a modern it, it started off like a flashback in the beginning that started off like historically but then it kind of jumped to when the woman who was an orphan got found a home and then she you know became an adult and ended up buying the old building that the orphanage was in and she wanted to turn that into another orphanage for disabled kids right so that in itself was a little bit of a variance from what Guillermo del Toro tends to do. He doesn't usually work in the present, which is why I think movies like Pan's Labyrinth are so brilliant because it, it it's his his ability to like set the stage of like a period piece like that is just so awesome. Like he, he does, he does it so well, you know, there, there's no fuck ups. There's no like, um, moments of disbelief where you have to be, okay, this isn't the 1930s. You yeah, know, no, it's, he's he, a 
He Consonant. creates yeah. worlds. He's a world creator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. Pretty- even even the magical realism and stuff like that when that he brings into it, and that's always involved, even with the fish guy. Um, you know. <laughs> but what did you? So what did you think of this one? Um, even though his influence was a little removed. Oh, yeah, I guess that's where I started. It was great. I love this movie. It's good. Yeah. It's hard to remember back at my initial feelings when I first saw the film, uh, my reaction to the the situation at the end, like how it all plays out. I didn't have that same reaction this time. I think it was a little bit more shocking at, 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 when I first saw it than I did now, and which I think is interesting for you. Um, it's sort of... Uh, you you had a different reaction now that you are a mother. The kind of uh, reality of the situation got a little bit more real, and to me, it was kind of well, I'd never do that, you know. <laughs> I would never. But you know, you were cracking some jokes during the movie, uh, Nigel. Yeah. I think you were a little uncomfortable. I don't know if maybe it's because we were uncomfortable, crying, mm-hmm. and I were un- uncomfortable, like like physically, like unhappy Maybe. and so that you I think you were trying to ease that for us you were responding to our mm-hmm. emotional responses yeah. uh, but I mean it's an uncomfortable movie I think even yeah. if you've watched it five times yeah, you no, know what's coming and I mean yeah. I forgot about that car scene the trucks or the, the bus scene like I Ooh, totally forgot about that shit yeah yeah, the the one kind of body horror. I mean, there's a couple of them, but uh, yeah, the one gory, uh, the one gory one, and that was even really well done. It was super well done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was it was really good. <laughs> it's really good. So I love this. Yeah, this is a great movie. So you said something just now though about that the ending that well I wouldn't do that right. What? Like um. Why wouldn't I wouldn't um, make that choice or, or behave oh, that yeah. way? As far as like, I wouldn't do what the mom did, yeah. Yeah. What 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 did she do that you wouldn't do? Are Are you referring to like the um the events that led up to Simone's disappearance and then like immediate death, or, which was revealed in the very end, or what she did to find him? So I meant like I wouldn't. I would have made better choices and the situation that happened with her kid wouldn't have happened. But you have you have the the privilege of knowing the whole context, whereas what she did, what the mother did, was so mundane. Yeah, super. That it's like, like the director had to replay it back for us in the flashback. Um, mm. But And whatever the mother did or didn't do, that is not what caused Simone to disappear. That's not what caused his fate. That that's what caused the mother's guilt, right? It, that's what caused her mental state mm. throughout the movie. But the actual actions, that is not that. What happened was just a terrible accident, right? Mm. And I think that's what's fascinating about this movie is that it is a ghost story and it does have supernatural elements to it. But the main action of what physically happens to Simone is just a bad accident. There's nothing supernatural about it. Right, right. And that's that's what I had been thinking about. It's like these two parallel things, like the, the tragedy just exists separately, but within this supernatural mm. world. And so the mom is 
it is like sort of playing between the two, yeah. hoping that what happened to her son is part of the supernatural when in reality it's revealed that it's not. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it's interesting to think about what if you took all the supernatural elements out of this? Like, we're going to spoil the movie, right? We're assuming people yes. who are watching okay, this movie so yeah, then let's just have seen it. Out with it. We can't dig in until we do that, <laughs> okay. Okay. right? And so what, what happens essentially is that, you know, Laura moves into this orphanage that she used to live in as a, as a girl and she had friends there and she has adopted this little boy who's HIV positive, Simon. She adopted him as a baby and he's now, what, seven years old, seven, mm-hmm. eight, something like that. She brings him to live in this orphanage. They're refitting the orphanage to bring disabled kids in. Um, that that's what she wants to do with her husband. They want to have this house and have, you know, half a dozen of these disabled kids that they help to raise. And um, there's a moment where they're having a, a party and Simone wants to show his mom something and his mom doesn't have time and she gets angry and she slaps him, which is, a, you know, it's a shocking thing to happen. I mean, he has just destroyed her cake, which... <laughs> You know, very seven year old boy type thing to do. And he runs off and she just and she lets him and she goes to cool, cool down. Right. Um, And and all this time he has been interacting with this little ghost boy, which we later realize is a little boy who lived in the orphanage when um, Lauda lived there as a child. Um, who died tragically. Um, And apparently the little ghost boy showed him this hidden room behind these stairs that he used to live in because he was disfigured and they tucked him away there. And um, what happens is that he gets stuck in that room. You know, Lauda, you know, opens the closet door, some big heavy metal things fall out. She stuffs them back in the door. It ends up, it ends up closing, sealing the door to the secret room, right? And she doesn't know the secret room is there. And so he gets stuck in that room, you know, and that later that night she hears banging and it's him, the little boy trying to get out of the room. And later we realize that that in his banging and his effort to get out, he falls down the stairs, right? He falls off the stairs and he like breaks his neck. So it's a quick, clean death like for me the the real trauma for me was like every time the movie jumped forward in space six months nine months i just pictured this little boy like alone starving to death somewhere like i just pictured long delayed like suffering and that was super hard for me to to match so when the final penultimate like scene happened where she finds him and she sees that he fell off the stairs it was like such a relief for me that it was a quick death that it happened quickly like within the the first 24 hours of his disappearance that he wasn't down there in that basement unhappy and alone for you know, however long it would take someone to die of death, like dehydration and starvation, right? Like that's where my mind went Hmm. immediately. And so, so this is where, like, if we take all the supernatural elements out of that, like this could be a very ordinary, like Hmm. story, you know, a little boy, you know, finds a secret room, gets trapped into it. We never know what happened to him. You know, the mother, searches and searches and she brings in mediums and does all these things to try to find this little boy but the crux like the skeleton of the story pardon the pun (laughs) is the same right yeah like her experiences his experiences don't fundamentally change just because there's this supernatural element i mean the supernatural element helps her to find him and to get closure which you know maybe without that she wouldn't have found but it's i don't think that it's necessary to the story Hmm. 
that's not where the terror comes from. I mean, those kids are scary. The little ghost kids, yeah, for sure, are scary. And the little kid in the mask, for sure, is scary. No, no question. But the fact that you can have this interaction with your child and then lose your child through no fault of your own and never get that moment back, like that's the real terror for me in that movie. That's yeah. the that that's what's really terrifying you're saying everything that that made me want to watch the film again but also my experience with the film as a mother i i thought what nigel had said like okay i have some experience now as a mother so will this be terrifying for me and it turns out it was much more terrifying for me even though you knew what was coming even though i knew i knew that i knew how the whole thing played out and still to relive that to experience that 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 imagery yeah that you know to be fully open um played on a loop in my own head um when ilari was a newborn and i had postpartum anxiety disorder which was just fearful um visual imagery of of her tragic death due to you know some mundane thing like that so it's it's heartbreaking it's torment why would i want to watch that again (laughs) yeah but interestingly um for laura it's it's unforgivable for her in her um, mind in her mind and so that's she let him down she let him down the suicide is her is the natural consequence of that for her because what else does she have now see that's what i wouldn't have done as or that's what i would have done no i wouldn't have like taken my own life but i definitely would have found all the doors in the house it was wallpapered over and there was no doorknob shit i would have found them all How could you have done that? Why is there scaffolding in a kitchen closet? If the movie was up to you, it'd be a really boring movie. I would have found him in five minutes. Movie would be over. Scaffolding. (laughs) Scaffolding belongs in the shed or some other kind of outdoor Yeah, would you have found um, the bodies in the shed? How long would it have taken you to find them? Well, uh, you know... You would never have found them because no tragic thing would have ever happened. Well, you know, yeah, what if there's plaster? It was all that plaster. Nigel, we hear knocking in the walls and be like, oh, those damn rats. Yeah. Like, and then I would have gone them. investigating them <laughs> and I would have found a secret room. Nigel, you're the horror fan and you're like destroying the horror in this movie. It's <laughs> protective mechanism it here. Protective mechanism. <laughs> it has to do with a child. Yeah. No, and it's... I think that's the fundamental, that's the heart of this movie. The horror in this movie is that yeah. harm came to a child and it was the most mundane ordinary harm right that we can't like if it's a ghost that kills the child you're like well ghosts don't exist it's not this is just a movie but that was not the situation here anybody can fall off the stairs or get but then also like nightmare was just saying the the um, original orphans um i have forgotten about that part where they were poisoned by um corella what's her name the yeah so the grape creepy face the lady yeah those Big. poor little kids yeah yeah so they they were playing a game with the disfigured boy right and as part of that game he ended up dying right not not out of any particular evil or cruelty of the children they were just being children it was a an accident um, but apparently his mother went crazy and ended up poisoning these children who who were the cause of the accident yeah. 
because they were like teasing him and so that those are the ghost children in the orphanage is these you know what is six little children who were poisoned along with the disfigured little boy who died in the accident those are all the ghosts and i think what makes uh, because you see him with his mask on and off and i didn't see him with his mask off never (laughs) happened i I mean i closed my eyes and i put my hands over my eyes he's not like i mean you know he's pretty but it's not a, like from a horror perspective no, it's not it's anything pretty ordinary. Yeah, it's pretty ordinary but yeah the mask itself and that was something i sort of brought up to you earlier like it, it, with the special effects kind of conversation the um recipe corner recipe corner section we don't need to jump into that but i i what makes a scary mask you know what mm. goes into this this disfigured kid's scary mask like why on earth when the mother is sewing him this mask as a disfigured kid does she like make it worse the, the fucking scariest <laughs> thing you could like like, but, here, what makes, so like put a one whole patch on the eye and like yeah there's this there is a scene in the movie the scene where they're having a party at the an opening party at the orphanage and yeah where everybody's wearing masks they bring out all this box of old masks and everybody puts them on and all of the masks are yeah scary they're all spooky hell. yeah and i was wondering that too right there's something mm. about the uncanny valley you know that mm-hmm. concept of the uncanny valley with something looks like kind of human but not quite human enough mm-hmm. and you're kind of stuck in this like middle version where you're just really uncomfortable mm-hmm. and i think that is the issue with a lot of these masks is that we're heading into that uncanny valley area where you're just they're not like animal like they're a little too human but they're not quite human enough and so you're you're really you, you something's off something's wrong the proportion of the eyes the proportion of the mouth and the little boy's mask is like a scarecrow mm. mask which i find scarecrows terrifying yeah already yeah. right <laughs> i've been primed yeah. to find scarecrows so and his mask like one eye is a little bit bigger than the other they're definitely lopsided like something looks yeah. wrong yeah. with the face but I, I find it interesting that it's hard to intellectualize why it's so scary. Like you can't say, well, there's this proportion happening. And it's you mean just, the mask? Yeah, it's just scary. Like if you show people masks. It's very crude. There's so some masks they're going to find yeah. scary and some masks that they're not. It's, I, it's a very crude rendition of a very crude like concept the scarecrow right the scarecrow in itself is supposed to be put together stuffed with hay and all these things so the scarecrow in itself is a crude concept i think it it could be crude but if it had like a smile like if it had some affect that you could recognize yeah it's less scary whereas this was like affectless there was no expression Mm. and then how the kid moved because he was like disabled he was like moving all like when he was walking down the hallway to the mom whether or not that was the kid or that was Simone, you yeah, know, we don't know. There was some pretty mm-hmm. strong yeah. criticism of this movie when it came out. I was reading yeah. about the use of disabled children in this way to kind of cre- generate this, mm. you know, horror. I, I didn't see the movie as taking advantage of him. I mean, his disfigurement was an essential part of mm-hmm. the, you know, the way that he died because the children played a trick on him and they removed his mask. And this was back in the 1970s where there was a very different view of, you know, dis- disability at the time. And so he was kept masked because he was disfigured and disabled. And a lot of the s- children in the orphanage were disabled. 
um, and kind of unwanted children. And that leads to what you wanted to talk about, right? Oh, yeah. Nightmare. (laughs) Yes. So one of the things about this movie uh, that is so kind of, I guess one of the things that makes it so real and and you can actually find a connection with the the idea is that it's an orphanage, right? And so I think in general, I mean, the kind of tenets of horror are that like, any person would be uncomfortable in this situation. And I think that even whether it's little orphan Annie or anybody, the idea of orphanages of children being abandoned and in this facility being taken care of by, you know, a few like drunkards, uh, caregivers, you know, that makes everybody uncomfortable. So, but one thing that after doing a little bit of research on the like Spanish orphanages, because Guillermo del Toro deals with this a lot, you know, and I mean, you could even say in um to some degree pan's labyrinth has has a little bit of this as well the institutionalization part of it you know the little girl in pan's labyrinth isn't an orphan but well, she, she lost her father she lost her dad and she you know is being taken care of by this military general and her mom and but it's like institutional military um, but then also certainly the devil's backbone which is takes place in an orphanage so those of you that might not know, um, there was a fascist uh, by the name of Francisco Franco, and he was a Spanish general who led the nationalist forces in overthrowing the Second Spanish Republic during the Spanish Civil War. Uh, and that was, and he basically was in power as a dictator between 1939 and 1975. Uh, this period in Spanish history from the nationalist victory to Franco's death is commonly known as the Francoist Spain or Francoist dictatorship. And so it's very similar to his fascist buddies, Hitler and Mussolini, and of course, our newest fascist, Donald Trump. Uh, Eugenics and this idea of creating a master race was kind of one of the main motivators of a lot of these fascist fascist groups. And, And it's really an excuse to massacre people that they didn't like. But what the things that that came up was that children were being kidnapped and basically it's believed that about 300,000 babies and young children were kidnapped and put into orphanages um, from basically uh, the 19 late 1930s the start of world war two to the 1990s this continued all the way up to that point yeah practice of removing Children from parents deemed undesirable, placing them with approved families or in, into orphanages that began in the 1930s under Franco. And at that time, the motivation was ideological, again, for um, for purposes of like taking these kids and removing them from people that were either um, against the, the, the fascist um, dictatorship, against Franco, or um, they weren't genetically up to par, and so the they would take the kids and raise them, um, have other parents raise them, or or the Catholic Church. It turns out, um, babies were taken from parents considered morally or economically deficient, um, and so this became like an also a money making scheme because the government would pay the Catholic Church. The scandal is closely linked to the Catholic Church which under Franco assumed a prominent role in Spain's social services, including hospital schools and children's homes. So this was like a major 
issue. And I think that that's basically a lot of what Guillermo del Toro touches on in The Devil's Backbone. And if you haven't seen that film, I highly recommend it. It's really, really fantastic. Another Spanish language film. But it's kind of this this controversy of kidnapping of kids and putting them in orphanages. It's It all it all really kind of happened. I mean, and that's what um, Pan's Labyrinth is, is about, too, is the, the Franco dictatorship. During, it's actually takes place during the Spanish Civil War. Scary Anna, what you got? I don't know, but there were some things that Cryan had oh, about the children being scary. Oh, yeah. Kids... So I I didn't realize that was a thing. Yeah, I've that... always thought kids were scary. I mean, I feel a little bit defensive when you say that. <laughs> Your um... child in particular. <laughs> Your child will drag me into the closet and close the door and then make this sound. It sounds like this. And she's just staring at me while she's doing it. We know that she doesn't drag you, though. Yeah, you willingly walk. She directs me. Very little. It's persuasive. If you don't do what she says, bad things happen. Bad things happen. But yeah, she's. Kids are. I think there's this idea that kids are, like, they're not subject to social norms. You don't really know what they're going to do or say. That's what I love about kids. I mean, I guess I don't know. I've been around around kids since I was a kid but I worked in daycares in high school um, and in college I did babysitting I did some nannying so I've just always been comfortable around kids and you didn't yeah, find them particularly like kids and dolls for me kids and dolls you put kids and dolls together that's a scary movie right there. I think it's just so con- it's such a conflict is like children are unassuming um, within society children are supposed to respect their elders and so when children are in a position that is threatening to adults i.e. like children of the corn you know and again there's like supernatural shit going on in that stupid movie too but no offense to any no offense steven but you know it's 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 in the kids are in a position that is extremely different than how we we typically see them and so i think they have power it, it makes the adults defenseless like like it's like what are you gonna do with a kid you know, running at you with a chainsaw, right? Like, what are you just going to be like, what are you doing, little kid? <laughs> Put that down. Put that down. Okay, so I do see that point. And I have an amendment, which is um, I was terrified of kids when I was a kid because kids are bullies. Oh, kids yeah, are they're mean. They're so mean. There was a, an episode of... Saved by the Bell? No, what's that? Sh- the Twilight Zone. There's no. a Twilight Zone episode about a little kid who has like unlimited powers. He's just, he's able to manifest whatever he thinks. Oh, yeah. yeah. You remember that episode, yeah. right? And so everybody's th- walking on eggshells around him. So this is a, this is the power flip that we're talking about yeah. where suddenly a child has power over adults and how he uses that power. And he's just a very typical maybe he was eight or nine years old child he just wanted what he wants just like Alari, you know she wants what she wants <laughs> and you know if she was bigger and stronger she would make you do it and that's what he did to his family like mm-hmm. he would make them do the things that he wanted because he had the, the ability to do that like he had the ability to create a monster that would chase you if you didn't give him the cake that he wanted you know well even the uh, a recent horror kind of action horror movie Brightburn which is um, just came out uh, like two years ago. It's basically if if 
if Superman, it's basically the Superman story, but if Superman was bad. A spoiled brat. If Superman was bad. It's the exact thing. Oh, the kid's so born to an alien and he, um, it's really good. He has I mean, powers. He's, right? got pow- he's got all the same powers of Superman. It's not Superman, you know, right. it's a different character, but it's basically if Superman was a bad guy. Yeah, how would you um, control him? <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't. So and if Superman as a child was, was born with powers? Yes. So how did they control him then? He didn't have powers where he his was born. adopted parents. His I mean, adopted they parents. Midwestern, they were good Midwestern people, people. that transferred uh, their good Protestant white values, values on to okay. okay. Thank God they did. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've gotten off track. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so the ghosts, I guess, Tomas and was kind of the the leader or the the first ghost who came home to the house so he has power ghosts have power right i mean i guess i mean i don't know do they have power what can they really do other than like what your imagination tells you they can do like i i know that my imagination is the scariest there's nothing scarier than my own imagination and so I, I imagine these little ghost kids running around, you know, wreaking havoc, doing terrible things. They didn't do any of those things, it's, but they yeah, still scared bit, me when they appeared. It's somewhat unclear, I yeah. guess. Um, but they were children, right? They, they didn't know any better. It's not they weren't deliberately cruel, but they also didn't care. But they they were, wanted to play their games. That's yeah. what they were focused on. They were focused on their. But own. they were also focused on trying to get the mom to figure out what happened to them. Right, but as I mean, part of a game, of... like they didn't they they could have they could have saved Simon, right? They could have led the mom directly there and said Simon is here, unlock the door. But they didn't give the clues until But they wanted she to play asked, the game. Or... No, they put the clues out there. She didn't realize they were playing a game until much later. Oh, like so they later. were trying to tell her as part of a game. For them, okay, it was so, a game. So the game is that they, they, they take steal a treasure. A treasure. Yeah. So Clues. So the premise is that they stole uh, Simon because he's her treasure, right. right? But then they didn't steal him, right? Because he just ran off in a temper. But, but, but they, well, Tomas showed him where that secret room was, right? And so... I, I don't know. I don't know what their intention was, whether it was to steal them or just steal him or just show him the room. Yeah. But they showed him that room. Um, and maybe it was only after he got stuck in the room that they were like, let's turn this into a game. But for them, they were playing a game. Like she only communicated with them when she played games with them. Yeah. And I guess it, in the end, it doesn't really matter. No. Like it can be somewhat gray. Yeah. Because yeah. then it, it just it keeps you invested. But in, I kept thinking, thinking why it. don't the kids help her? Why don't these children help her? Like they know what happened to him. Why don't they help her? Why are they being like I thought they were being cruel and evil and mean and just terrible and I thought they they took him and they killed him and they did something terrible to him. And they, they didn't. They were just children. Like even though they're ghost children, it's not like becoming a ghost suddenly makes you wise and older and mm-hmm. apparently Wait, you're the same. How do you know? <laughs> yeah, how do you know I, this? I don't know. <laughs> but in this movie anyway, once the ghost children appeared, I could see that they were just children playing a game. They didn't know. Which is better. really interesting way to handle that ghost kind of concept too, is that yeah. they're not like 
they're just kids. They're, they're not, not like imbued evil with kids. some kind yeah. of power or knowledge yeah. or evil. There was no evil in this movie. There was like no well, capital E evil. I don't know if like the husband is pretty neglectful. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know if that's evil. That ca- just the husband is capital U jack useless. Shed, jackhead. Like yeah. literally Asshat. you could cut that character out of the movie entirely and nothing yeah. would change. I would argue that you can't because without his love and support... Laura has nothing. Like I mean, if she, she had, had a relationship with him, then maybe she would be like, oh, okay, I don't have to commit suicide because I have this loving partner who supports me and has been here with me this mm, whole time. That's but, interesting, yeah. but the fact that he just, he couldn't handle her. It. Yeah. He couldn't handle it. Also, you know, he lost a kid too, but yeah, he sucks. Well, you know, none of it would have happened if she would have put the scaffolding in the outbuilding. <laughs> so. so moral of the story, store your scaffolding in an outbuilding. Yes. Yes. Okay. Exactly. That's good. That's a good place with, to with stop. the bodies that are behind the plaster. She could have built another shed <laughs> with no bodies. Sheds are cheap. I'll get you a shed. You want a shed? <laughs> Nigel, that's your takeaway. <laughs> the importance of sheds. This right. this film really affected him. So I yeah. know that you guys hate ratings. I I like the rating thing. So I'm going to give this a uh, an eight out of ten. And I definitely think it's an own. Um, we own The Devil's Backbone. I thought we had owned this one, too, but we don't. But Do you um, own Pan's Labyrinth? Yes. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. I think I actually stole that from somebody. And so whoever I stole it from, if you're listening, let me know. And I'm not going to give it back. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I had been thinking about, like, uh, revisiting the rating yes. system. Yes. And ha- <laughs> that was ever that was the whole point of this podcast. <laughs> but that's okay. It was to rate movies. <laughs> Didn't well, I refuse to rate in the yeah, last? You did. did. Oh, I'm sorry, um, Nigel. That's okay. <laughs> I love this film. It is not one that I could watch on repeat. Yeah, it's not something you're going to put on like Sunday morning just for fun. You're bored. <laughs> Six right? o'clock in the morning. No, it. <laughs> It's thoughtful, it's atmospheric, it's poetic. Beautifully shot. It's yeah, it's it's beautiful, but it's terrifying and I sat on the couch sobbing. I don't know that I can say ten to something that makes me feel as a little masochistic. As terrible as I felt, <laughs> but it is such a beautiful film and to be able to kind of get in someone else's experience and to create such raw emotion i think is that's a gift yeah um wow wow i'm gonna indulge nigel yeah and give it an eight as well yeah okay but did you guys find the movie scary that's what i want to know is was it scary i wasn't scared by humanoids from the deep i wasn't scared no talking about (laughs) I'm just saying some of was the boobs were big. scary. The, that's what the podcast is about, right? Is is sort of unpacking and uncovering what terrifies us. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, yes, I think I think the movie was scary when I first saw it. I don't think I was scared at all. The jump scare got me. I forgot that that was in the movie. It's been several years since I've seen this movie. So that that got me. But I mean, if you if I really think about the idea of what happened to Simone, it makes me uncomfortable as it does you as it does. Yeah. Scary Anna. But I, I don't that's not fear to me. Hmm. That's more of like, hmm, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know. It's another emotion. 
yeah i don't know <laughs> i it definitely unsettled me so i thought a lot about it in the days after watching it um i dreamed about it the night after watching it wow and it's so it, it was definitely something that was on my mind that discomfort and you're right maybe i don't know that it's fear so much mm. as discomfort it was very uncomfortable yeah um but is that what makes good horror then something that creates that unease i think that's a part of it yeah then definitely why would we do that to ourselves it's really uncomfortable <laughs> it's, i think it's a way of working through things that are uncomfortable like mm. in a safe safer way and it's also an opportunity as is satire it's like the opposite end of the spectrum of satire but it's looking at similar results hmm. is that you're 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 trying to communicate something via this one avenue whether it's satirically or through horror um you're you're trying to communicate a message and that can be political like you were with humanoids of the deep <laughs> very political <laughs> um you know or political like candy man you know yeah through a, a you know sort of this one particular gateway that you're, it's very personal makes it digestible or i think that's why the genre is so broad because it's very personal there there will be people who watch the orphanage and are just totally they find it funny like right? the lady who what it says it's like right, a feel good mother who watched <laughs> it with, with her 10 year old <laughs> feel good movie <laughs> and said it was a sweet movie <laughs> i watched this um this uh horror youtuber possessed by horror and she was talking about how she's going to start providing trigger warnings for the horror movies that she talks about to people. And so that in itself, that idea of like providing a trigger warning to people is controversial in itself because it's like horror. It's supposed to be horrific, but it's also like there's some actual trauma that can come by some of these concepts that are covered by horror. And that is subjective. Like, yeah. you know, uh, the loss of a child through violence. Um, like for me is home invasion movies. I hate home invasion movies. I don't mm -hmm. like them. I don't, they, they scare the fuck out of me because that shit happens. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't happen with spooky people with masks on and, you know, and, and, and shit like that. But it, you know, I, I don't like them. I don't know if I would need a trigger warning in discussing something like, like a, a home invasion movie, but I, I'm not going to, we're never going to review the strangers or, I mean, I'm not going to talk about that shit because hmm. I don't like it. I mean, maybe that, maybe one of, if one of y'all wanted to watch a home invasion movie and we could, you know, we could discuss it, but I'll, I'll like, you know. I wouldn't do that. Say to up you. front. Well, no, but I mean that's I might, part of though. it. Like, I might you know, do it. <laughs> but that's part of the podcast is that we're kind of expanding our horizons. But I, I would never seek out a, a, a home invasion horror to watch because that subgenre is not enjoyable. Is not enjoyable mm -hmm. to me. So that's interesting because when I was in uh, therapy for my um, postpartum anxiety disorder, I went through some cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy training for it, which um, part of it was to desensitize yourself um, to some of those anxieties and fears through uh, exposed to it. So different levels of exposure. So I don't I don't know what I expected as far as watching this film, knowing that it would it could possibly have a trigger and then visiting it and realizing that it's it's still scary. But but also that's fascinating that that's part of psychology is that you kind of 
this is so dumb, face those fears. Yeah, no, it's not dumb. Thoughts have power and you take the power away by acknowledging the thought that it's just a thought. Yeah, I think the only issue with that in regards to this specific thing, like, you know, say horror or say home invasion um, movies, like you can't desensitize yourself to an actual real life home invasion by watching home invasion horror movies, right? Because it's they're they're always fantastical in some way. You know, I would never put myself in a situation where I'm staying at an Airbnb out in the a middle of nowhere, in the woods. a cabin on a farm. <laughs> we just did that. <laughs> with a well. You know, with a demonic well. To the gates of hell. Anyway. But that yeah, it is it's very psychological and I think that's what is the beauty of horror and i don't think you see that in any other genre all right we're, we're wrapping it up thank you all for listening uh you can find out more information on little house on the scary uh at gmail.com if you want to reach out to us if you have any film suggestions give us a shout if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast give us a shout that would be fun i would like to have maybe a guest sometime. some fresh blood but uh i'm gonna be picking the next one what I'm, are you picking i'm not gonna say i'm not gonna say because i'm not sure yet home alone i think it's either home alone <laughs> the shape of or, water the fish man yeah, the fish man fish man fish man <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll talk to y'all later bye bye, bye.